Hey, you know that other life that you've been dreaming about? That life where you feel free, uplifted, calm, and kick-ass? Well, that life isn't as far away as you might think. Welcome to the Fuck Yeah Life Podcast, where we talk about living that OMG is this real version of your life. You know, your fuck yeah life. Hello, I'm Briley, your host on this journey. So, are you ready? Well then, let's fucking do this. Okay, Miss Brianna Firestone, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to start off and ask you, as I'm going to ask all of my guests, to introduce yourself and tell us who you are in your own words. Hello. I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy. You're My name here. is Brianna Firestone. I run a company called The School of Betty. Betty, B-E-T-T-Y, not Buddy. <laughs> I named that after my um, late grandmother. And at The School of Betty, I am a money healer. I am a neuroscience-based money healer. So all of my coaching um, is rooted in neuroscience so that I can truly help individuals who identify as women plus how to change their habits and their behaviors and their mindset around their money. And I am also a certified life coach like you because so much about our money is not about our money. I always say that money is not complicated. Humans are. And so a lot of what we do at the School of Betty is just managing our life and our resources. So that is what I do every day, and I love it so much, and I get to um, work with incredible humans, and I get to be a part of their really awesome life journey and changing their relationship with money, which is in their life every day for the rest of their life. Absolutely. We can't do our lives without our money. Mm-mm, can't hide from it. It knows where you live. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it sure does. I know you haven't always been a money healer. Um, you came to this a little bit later. Was it your first career or even your second, really? Was it? It was like three, right? Yeah, it's probably like my third ish, I think. Third ish, mm-hmm. yeah. So tell us a little bit about your career trajectory and your life trajectory and how you came on your own fuck yeah life journey. Yeah. Well, I grew up in a very small town in Missouri like 2,000 people on a gravel road. And I went to a private women's college that was about three hours away and studied theater, performing arts, and music and had the thought and the idea that I was going to move to New York City and that was going to be my career. And I did that. I moved to New York City When I was 21 years old, I graduated in three years, and I realized really quickly that this lifestyle of being a performer didn't match up with what felt good to me, which I think is probably a lot of what you are unpacking for individuals. We're not necessarily taught how to choose careers or things that we love based on a lifestyle or what it will take to actually do it, right? I I maybe stood in line a few times for an audition where I had to be in line by 4 a.m. in the morning to get a spot to get one, you know, 16 measures of a song. And I was like, this is for the birds. Like, I (laughs) do not like this. And I was serving tables and 
I knew a couple of friends. And so I just kind of reached out and one happened to work at a magazine. And I got an interview at a big publishing house. And I ended up getting a job there in the sales department as an assistant. And then I just started on this trajectory where I kind of allowed my curiosity to guide me. And I learned graphic design there and kind of moved into the marketing department. And then I jumped into a PR job that was in architecture and design. I knew nothing about architecture and design. It was still very much a country bumpkin, even though I had lived in New York City for a couple of years. But I moved into this really tiny boutique PR firm. And I'm so grateful for that transition because I learned so much. I got to travel. Most of my clients were Italian. So I was in Italy a lot. And um, it is why I have such a love for design and beautiful things now and simplicity of design. And I did that for about six years and then ended up moving to Colorado um, with my then husband and worked still at the PR firm and eventually just decided I needed a break. I took a year off. And then I went into fundraising. I started to work for a nonprofit um, cancer organization. And this whole time, even while I lived in New York City, I, when I came to Denver to visit, I would try to have information meetings with individuals at the big performing arts center here because I kept thinking, how do I marry my marketing and PR background with performing arts, which is what I majored in and which I was and you know passionate about and I loved. And so after the Cancer Center, I eventually got the director of marketing role at the Performing Arts Center here. It's a very $90 million performing arts center. And I worked there for 10 years, running marketing, running front of house operations. I created a new department for them, um, strategy and insights, and ran their analytics. And eventually I started to get that nudge. I think I had it pretty early, but I kind of kept like pushing it off of like, there's got to be something more. And I don't necessarily feel like this is in my purpose. I love the arts, but I don't know if this is it. And so I started to think back around the things that I'm good at and, you know, what people kind of came to me for. And in this whole trajectory, what I failed to mention is that I got my first credit card at 18. And I really, really perfected my shopping skills through college, moving to New York City. I mean, by the time I was 23, I had $30,000 of credit card debt. I made $30,000 a year and I'm living in New York City and I'm drinking mocha frappuccinos like every single day. <laughs> and, um, you know, as I made more, I spent more. Eventually I paid that off because I was like, I got to, I got to like, do something here with my life. This is this is not what I want to do. And so as I was reflecting back at that moment in my career, people would always come to me because they would want to know, number one, how did I do a, no, a year of no shopping, which I did several times? And how did I pay off my debt? And how do I do that? How do I budget? And I'm passionate about it. I will talk till I'm blue in the face about just money and your relationship with it. And I was like, what if I try to make this a company? What if I try to make this a side hustle? Mm -hmm. And I did. And now it's my full-time hustle. And here we are. Man. <laughs> so I wanted to think about kind of going back to that point where you were kind of like getting a little hint that like something might be there. And what was that thought process for you that pushed you into, okay, like I'm going to do something. It's not just going to be like, oh, wouldn't it be neat if, but okay, let's, 
let's start figuring this out. Yeah. Well, I've always been someone who's been super passionate about my career. I've always found great joy in the work that I do, and I'm super ambitious. And College in three years. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was also to save money, but, but yes, super ambitious. And, you know, we can talk about later how I had to unwind a lot of these behaviors, but I was all about performing and getting accolades and seeing how Ooh. fast I could climb the ladder and doing all these things. I, I thrived in that atmosphere. And I started to hit this point in each of my career transitions, I started to hit this point where I would be procrastinating a lot in my Mm. daily office job or getting the Sunday scaries and just feeling like that job was zapping the life out of me. Like it just felt Mm. heavy and like I wasn't excited about anything. I didn't want to show up to a meeting. I mean, gosh, what do they call it now? Like silently quitting or something. But yeah, <laughs> back then we didn't have those words. Yes, I just but... knew that it, and because I was such a high performer, people could tell. There was no kind of mid grade for me. It was like I was either humming or I wasn't. And this is this mm-hmm. was beyond just kind of having, you know, lulls where you're tired, where you've had a, you know, a stretch on a project or something. I just started to feel like this doesn't get me excited to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And also, by the way, I work a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. And oh, what is this life I've created? Like I'm not actually living my life. And I spent a lot of time, especially in the theater world, you're at the theater a lot at night, missing out on a lot of things with friends and family and experiences because of work. Like I remember my vacations couldn't be during certain times because like, well, this is our busy season. Like I cannot mm-hmm. take there's an element where it's like, that's, that is what it is, but mm-hmm. it just started to not suit me. And as I, I really changed roles a lot in my tenure there at the Performing mm-hmm. Arts Center in a, in an effort to keep me interested. Ah. And we're eventually where it's like, well, they create an entire department <gasps> and you're still not happy. And I'm just like, yeah. okay, I think it's, I think it's time, but yeah. I don't know what it is which was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So how did you figure that piece out? I what started your- to get curious mm-hmm. and I had met with a coach, you know, in that year sabbatical that I took from working, I, which is a privilege. Let me just call that out. I had a partner at the time and, you know, we were able to do that. I met with this coach and I remember, you know, I was just like, oh, I just, I I need to do something different with my career. But, you know, he's like, well, why don't you just take some time off? At this point, I was only taking a month leave. I hadn't yet decided to take a year. I was like, well, I can't do that. I've got all these bills and I've got all this. And he's like, well, you're choosing to live the lifestyle you're living. I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. my brain exploded. (laughs) And he also gave – he was very rooted in neuroscience, which I'm just now kind of connecting that actually as we're talking. He gave me an exercise where – you know, you would go through these different ages as a child, mm-hmm. as you've grown up, which I know I have also, you know, given to my students. And you identify the thing that you were really proud of. You identify the things that you did. And so I went on this journey of being curious, of trying to kind of go back to the past, like early in childhood, because I think, you know, before we are conditioned and 
you know, go to school, we we are innately kind of showing things that we are probably mm-hmm. going to be really good at and like that yeah. will feel in alignment, right? Because I think I'm good at a lot of things that are not in alignment for me to like do every day in my life, right? Yes, I know absolutely. you know what that feels like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the, for me, one of like the, you know, mind-blowing lessons I've learned over the years was just because you can do something and you're good at it doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> 100%. 100%. And that's scary if you don't know anything else. Yeah. And so I went on this curiosity trip and I really worked on my mindset because I was like, you know, I'm not in a position to leave this job just yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be that person who's a dick coworker mm-hmm. who's just like not showing up because I know what yeah. that feels like too. Yeah. And so I really just worked on my mindset to not let things ruffle my feathers, to um, find the little gratitude moments in the day, to really just show up in the best way that I could because I didn't want to leave on a sour note. And I also was not in a position to just like jump ship and that would have been even more stressful, right? And yeah. so – I went on the curiosity thing and I started journaling and I just was, you know, mindful of like, well, what do people come to me for? And does this sound fun? And just kind of trying different things Mm -hmm. and eventually just kind of stumbled upon this online world because I was like, well, what if I create a business around money? When I finally like had that idea, then I kind of stumbled upon this whole online entrepreneur world that I was not even aware of. and. Yeah, to sum all of that up, I got curious. Yeah. And I think like our stories kind of represent almost like two different sequences of things. Because for me, I was like not listening, not listening, not listening. And then I just hit the wall and I had to jump ship. And so I had to get curious in that, like, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. I was getting, that's when I was like starting to get really curious. And so you started listening to yourself. Like you started seeing those signs earlier and having that sort of journey of curiosity while you were still working. Cause I know that a lot of people kind of think with me, like I, I jumped and I had the ability and privilege at that time to jump first and figure it out later but uh, most people don't and so yours is kind of a a way of starting that process starting that while you're still in a job and you know because the previous ones I didn't yeah when I left the PR firm I, I took a month leave and then I went back to New York City because that's where it was based and was having a meeting with HR and they wanted me to commit to staying a certain period of time. And I quit on the spot. I had not even had a conversation with my then husband. Wow. I was like, I quit. Like, I can't do that. And I'm just like on the phone later, like, so I kind of did something. So I I practiced the patience and the curiosity in Mm -hmm. the next round because I did the irrational thing before. Yeah. And it always works out, right? For most of us, you know, it always works out. I couldn't believe the words were coming out of my mouth. Like, oh, oh my, like, did I just quit my J-O-B? 
And also a job that I had so much of my identity wrapped around. Mm. And what was interesting was that career and also my career in the performing arts, my identity was so tightly wound around those things. And that mm-hmm. those were the hardest, I feel like, for me to move on from. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, myself as well. And, you know, because you were on that journey with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think that that's, that's, that's something a lot of like ambitious, professional, very kind of career-driven women identify with is that like building your own identity around the thing that you do, your career or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're not really taught anything else. I think most people no, no I mean, identify the around like, their career, you, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, even from the earliest age, it's what do you want to be when you grow up? Totally. You know, it's not totally. like, you know... What are some of the five careers you might think of having? (laughs) In this idea that you need to pick a career when you're, you know, 18 and your prefrontal cortex has not even been totally developed and decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. (laughs) And also the judgment I think we place on individuals who do play and have fun and try different things out. Like we can have this thought about them of like, you need to get your life together when those individuals are most likely having the time of their life. And they're like, no, you need to get your life together. Like <laughs> you keep trying to make this career work. Like you worry about your own life. My life yeah. is going great. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about some of the clients you work with. And when you're working with clients around, you know, they come to you because they have issues with their money. They want to get their money sorted. What do you find are some of the biggest obstacles you see your clients facing when what you're really talking to them about isn't just like a sort of Band-Aid budget, as you call it, but this is really like a self-exploration process Mm -hmm. and a different way of thinking about money. Because you talk about money in a very different way than most money gurus out there, you know? It's a resource. It's an energy. It is a manifestation of our consciousness. Yeah. Most individuals, when they come to me, they're experiencing a couple of things. Number one, they have a lot of debt. They're living paycheck to paycheck. And maybe that individual does need to make more money. But often my client is like, I know I make a decent amount of money. Like I make a good salary. Like why can I not make this work? Mm. And, you know, why can I not shift my shopping habits? So a lot of individuals are in that space have having racked up debt. Maybe they've paid it off and they just kind of went back into the same cycle or back on the hamster wheel. And part of that too, coupled with that, right, are individuals who are in their 30s, you know, mid 30s. And they're in that space where they're like, I want to meet my partner or I'm with someone and I'm terrified to talk about money. I'm not ready to date someone and say, this is how much debt I have. I feel like I don't got my shit together. Like they're in this space where they're ready to take a next step in their life and money is the obstacle or the perceived obstacle. Mm -hmm. Like it's the thing that like, you know, if they had to like put on a dating profile or something that would be the one thing that people like pass, right? Mm -hmm. And so- So much of what we are first doing with an individual is really debunking a lot of money myths because we have this idea that we should, quote unquote, already know how to do it, especially as you're getting into your 30s. My Bettys will often say, I can't believe I'm paying someone to help me with my money. 
because I should already know how to do this. And I'm like, well, where? Where did you learn? You know, besides like what? I took an accounting class, but no one, you know, we take these classes in school and a lot of them don't have any application for our life. We're not learning how to regulate our emotions. We're not learning how to talk through conflict. Like there are so many things that we just don't learn. But for some reason, we will seek out coaches and guidance in other areas. But when it comes to money, we have this idea that we should know how to do it. And I'm like, well, if it was logical, we'd all be doing it. Yeah. But the reality is most of us know, quote unquote, what we should be doing, which means we know best practices or we have learned some of them. Mm-hmm. But we don't understand what's underneath all of that. So I have to debunk some things for them. And I need them to understand that, you know, managing your money is basically managing your life. And it's not just your money. It's your time and your energy. And that when money is popping up, whether it's like you're spending too much eating out or you're spending too much just like mindlessly shopping, that is a symptom of other things. Mm-hmm. Your money yeah. is a result. Your money is showing you as a symptom, as a result. It's not the cause of something. And that's where I feel like individuals have it turned around because they're like, well, I'll just create a budget and then everything will turn around. It's like, well, you don't even know why you're shopping in the first place. Yeah. You don't even understand that when you have an interaction with this person at work, you are on the Amazon Mm -hmm. app or that when you're bored, you seek Mm -hmm. to fill space and you go shopping. So most of my buddies have Mm -hmm. no idea what their current habits and behaviors are and what stories they're telling themselves about the money. And so we have to start there. Because that's why I say a budget is a Band-Aid. Like it's not actually – you're just going to stay on the yo-yo and the hamster wheel if you don't actually go deeper. And guess what? A lot of people don't want to do that. (laughs) It's not pretty, as you know. (laughs) Really ugly moments. But Mm -hmm. holy smokes, that healing is powerful. Yeah. And I think that like in the money journey that I went on with you – Thank you very much. <laughs> that started and there were a lot of like revelations that happened at the beginning. And then, you know, I what was it? it was like at least a year and a half before like it really clicked for me that I was giving away my power to money, which mm-hmm. Is not really a real thing? <laughs> you know, like I was giving that power away and I was putting up obstacles for myself, putting up roadblocks. And, was soon, you know, it took me like a year and a half to go, oh, oh yes. Uh, yeah. You know, I understood I mean, a lot of those roots in my money story earlier, but it took me a while to get to like, oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. And it takes a while to get to a space where money is neutral. Yeah. Where it's just like a tool that we get to use. It takes a while to get there because we have to unpack so much. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the root of things, when we are stressed out about our money, you know, yes, there are deeper wounds that are happening, but at the base level for almost everyone, it's a fear wound and a lack wound. Mm -hmm. And what those tell us is we are simply worried about our safety and our security. Yeah. When we have that in ourselves, like we have to remind ourselves that we've always figured out. We, you know, have to remind ourselves we know how to make money because we will allow this outside source, this thing outside of us, we will give it an emotion. Mm -hmm. 
And we will just be in the space of money is scary. Like I never have enough. And it's like, well, money's not going to show up for you if you're just in this avoidance space. Mm -hmm. And part of that, like money needing to show up for you is you have to spend time with it. You have to actually like do some of these things that you don't want to do. You know, you're scared of the budget. I had a student actually just say this. It's like, Looking at my creating my money flow, aka my budget, and I say that because budget has a lot of underlying meaning for so many individuals. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, it just it makes it real. And I was like, Well, it's already real. The numbers are the numbers. You're spending yeah. the money. Like, what's in your bank account? It's like that's that's just where it is. <laughs> yeah. Whether you look at it or not, it's still the same, (laughs) but starting to look at it and change how you think about your money and the emotions you're attaching Mm -hmm. to it and how you interact with it, that's going to change your results with it. Yeah. I think that's really key because I remember I uh, had a wonderful doctor once and he used to, you know, I would fret about coming into his office and getting weighed and he would always just say, hey, numbers are just information like we're just getting information because we can't make we you know we we can't make informed decisions until we get the information and I like I talk to clients about that all the time of like you know we just need to get the we need to get the information about you know what it would look like if you you know if you wanted to do this what could that look like how do you do that get the information do you know that for sure get the information it's a data point you know we just got to like don't be scared of it get the information and then you know and then you can take informed action from there totally and you've yeah. totally pointed out too the similarities so heavily between our money and food Mm-hmm. And like our weight and like how mm-hmm. we view that. It's just, they're so similar. Yeah. That always reminds students, if you've gone through an intuitive eating program, mm-hmm. apply to your money. If you've gone through fierce finances, apply to your eating. Like there's just so many yeah. similarities between them. But yeah, your doctor's right. You can't change that number until you actually look at the number. Yeah. It's just information, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think both of those two, like our money and our eating, those are really grounded in our brains like that is a real like understanding how our brains are using and responding to those sorts of things of eating and spending and the emotions that we give those things totally direct parallels like direct yeah Yeah. and they they influence your actions Mm -hmm. and that's the biggest thing like your thoughts you know we're attaching the emotion to the thought And then that is influencing the action you're taking. And that action is reinforcing your results. And so if we're not getting the results that we want, we have to go back to the base level of like, how am I thinking and feeling about this in the first place? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So you kind of hinted a little bit ago about these idea of money stories and talking to clients about money stories. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about what is a money story? and you know, what do you say to clients who are really having a hard time reconceiving or reimagining themselves with a different story? Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> so much of this, you know, which we learn in any of my coursework, which you learned as a certified money healer, is, you know, so much of our story too is baked in our subconscious. And to simplify it, you know, as our brain is developing, our subconscious mind is kind of fully formed by the time we're nine. 
ish, mm. right? Yeah. And it's that space between kind of six and nine that we're actually starting to move into this space where we can begin to have critical thinking skills. And so what's really powerful is when people think back about their money story. And a money story simply is, what are the words you remember about money? How did money feel growing up? How did your parents interact with it or other adults in your life? What were phrases? Do you remember any money occurrences or things that went on? Like we rarely do that. And when we start to do that with our money, we Mm -hmm. see a map essentially of how it is showing up in our current life. And for a lot of students, one of their first memories will be in that six to nine range. Mm -hmm. But what they don't realize is that, you know, as their brain's developing as they're younger, you're soaking in everything that is being talked about, money, energy, Mm -hmm. actions, until you get to that age. And so what most don't realize is they, as adults, they are operating on usually beliefs that were created around eight or nine around their money. Mm -hmm. And we don't see that until we write the money story. And then we get to just look at it and say, is this serving me now? Yeah. What part of the story do I want to rewrite? And also just to like accept it that acceptance is so important because we will spend so much time and energy and resistance to what is, right? Like resisting Mm -hmm. looking at the bank account or opening the credit card statement. And you're like, well, it's there. Just like, you know, you're wasting so much of your precious time and energy by Mm -hmm. like being afraid to look at it. So accepting where it is and also accepting that you probably didn't learn how to manage your money and you certainly probably did not learn like kind of the psychology and the emotions behind it. And guess Mm -hmm. what? Your parents didn't either. So give them a break. Yeah. (laughs) And they learned from their parents. And then we can look at generations, right? Mm -hmm. Of just, you know, what was so different from generation to generation and how that has translated. And what's so powerful about our brain and neuroplasticity is you get to rewrite that. You get to rewrite the neural pathways and how you want to interact and believe and think and talk about your money, but you can't do that until you understand where you are right now. Yeah. Because there might be some good things. I I, I say it's kind of like you've been lugging around a giant suitcase for a really long time and you get to have a moment where you stop, open it up, unpack it and decide what you want to take with you if you want to take anything with you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. guess what? Your partner also has a story. So if you're managing money with someone else that's a powerful exercise for you to do together because odds are um, you probably have very different money stories. That's usually what kind of happens in the attraction mm-hmm. model. <laughs> yeah. But that's really powerful to understand because then it's then it's not a matter of like, why why does this person keep spending money on this? You actually really start to understand. It's like, well, why do they keep buying more tomato sauce? We have six jars already. And it's like, well, they grew up in a household that had hardly any food. And that's a sense of security for them, right? Like it all starts to make sense when you understand your story. Yeah. I know that for me, that process, like I said, it took, it took, it it was, it was levels of unfolding over years. But, you know, when we first started working together, that was a real eye opener for me. And realizing that, you know, money was something that wasn't talked about. Money was something that was fought about. and there was definitely a sense of security mm-hmm. that I had around spending, which, you know, after I kind of really saw that, I was like, oh, that's very counter, right? Like, 
the idea that the more I spend, the more I feel secure. But I'm like, but then you don't have any money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There was something in the like, you know, feeling because part of my money story was that love and uh, security was expressed through through giving Mm. or in my case, receiving. And so when I cracked that nut, I was like, oh, that's what Target's doing. (laughs) Yeah. And also, you know, especially when we have the whole love wrapped up in money Mm -hmm. and receiving or giving money or money being leveraged, you know, Mm -hmm. if your child and a parent is leveraging money or you've been in a relationship where that's happening, that's creating some really deep emotional ties and thoughts around your money that we have to untangle and, you know, even understanding just how life was or maybe that you had, I find this a lot in students and I know you can relate to this. If you had to adult earlier mm-hmm. as a young child, yeah. it will often show up as we're getting older. We'll have this like almost tantrum feeling. <laughs> like when we're an adult and we like need to manage our money or like pay attention to our spending, we're like, but I don't want to. It, it, it's almost yeah. like your eight-year-old will come out. Yeah. Because you spent so long having to act older than your age, right? Which you hear growing up. It's like, oh, you're so mature for your age. You don't realize it until you're older. It's like, why did I take care of myself? (laughs) I didn't get to be a kid. You will have this resistance to doing quote unquote adult things with your money because you just want to not have to be responsible for it anymore. But if you can understand Mm -hmm. that, like I always ask my students, like who's running your budget right now? You or your eight-year-old self? That, you know, when we when we spend time with it and when we unpack it and have a better relationship with mm. it and we can be neutral about it, that's what allows you to be able to play and have fun and really live yeah. a life of joy. Yeah. And I think that, too, you know, when you were just talking about that, it kind of reminded me of something you, you know, you kind of said a little bit earlier about these behaviors that you had earlier in your life around ambition and perfection and like career. And I know that this is a case, you know, for me as well. And I think a lot of people that when you really put so much into creating this version of yourself that is professional and ambitious and like getting shit done, stopping and like unpacking the thing that you have spent decades perfecting, ignoring that's a really scary and vulnerable thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to kind of go back and think about and talk about some of those kind of unlearning behaviors or those kind of like learning to kind of undo some of those kinds of behaviors or just, you know, even understanding of oneself, thinking about your own story and un- you, you called it unwinding behaviors. Like what were some of those mm-hmm. behaviors that you really felt you had to unwind? Mm. So many, so many. (laughs) One of them was, and, and, you know, I think your listeners may be like, well, those aren't really about money. But again, Mm -hmm. these are the things that impact our money. You know, one of the things I had to really unwind for myself was this extreme caretaking Mm. of anything in my life. My husband at the time, friends, coworkers, Almost like a going above and beyond and not inappropriately, but just like at a disservice to myself to caretake. 
And I can totally translate that back to my childhood of just like, yeah, I was taken care of, but you know, my dad was a single dad and he worked nights and it was like, you know, I remember being five, having to like make my own cereal and like kind of hang out while he was like sleeping for just a little bit. Right. And so recognizing some of these patterns that I have and how I equated my value and my self-worth, it almost always can go down to your self-worth. And so that was one, where am I overperforming? And holy smokes, that happens so much with ambitious individuals, not just women, Mm -hmm. but I would say more so with women because we can be in the state of proving, Mm -hmm. having to prove more, right? And so- You know, if I don't go above and beyond, they won't see the value. Yeah. And what's really unfortunate, I think, about that correlation is like I really had to remind myself that I myself am inherently valuable. This organization may not see my skill set as value. Mm. So separating, they don't value me. It's like, oh, that's such a big statement. It's like you, you get to value yourself, you're whole, and you're great. Maybe they don't value your skill set. And it just, it it feels different when you say it because what happens is people will base their validity here in this world on those outside things. And so that overperforming, you know, I'm just making less per hour, the more I kill myself. (laughs) Yeah. Trying to overperform, that was a big one. And so part of also the overperforming in my life was unwinding the behavior of being busy. Mm. And because I recognized too that when I was bored, especially when I had major shopping addiction, that was a big trigger for me to go shopping. And I didn't know how to sit with my feelings and be. I didn't know how to even process that. Yeah, And so, so much I think for students that are coming in my doors, they're an avoidance of that. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really unwind this behavior of being busy all the time. And I remember a friend saying, I was like, oh, so busy. And she's like, you say that a lot. It wasn't, it wasn't a negative, like a rude way. But, you know, that's more prevalent now in our world where it's like people talking about hustle and, and, and all the above. I had to really actually start to understand who I was. And I know that sounds super cheesy, but two years ago, I started to move out of my marriage and move into a divorce. And in this span of almost three years, I have recognized just how much I lived my life according to these rules mm-hmm. of society, mm-hmm. just kind of putting yeah. on these blankets. You do this, and then you do this, and you do this, and you climb this ladder, and you do this, and you're like, wait a minute. I don't think I like this. Right? Mm-hmm. No. I think the being busy thing, that was one of the things that really like was a big aha moment for me when I first started working with you. And this idea that busyness is a virtue. And if you're not busy, you have less worth, as well as the part of like keeping busy to keep your mind out of the feelings. But it was a real aha moment for me around my money, as well as like, oh, I'm literally just making shit up to do on a Saturday afternoon. It's like, oh, I'm going to like create really critical errands that need to be done. (laughs) Um, I laugh because that was me. I'm like, I really need to get this silverware holder. It's just like essential right now. (laughs) It's essential right now. My whole day depends on it. And then while you're in there, 
what you're going to do is, you know, you're going to reorganize the laundry room and all of, then you're like, oh, what I really need to do is plant the flower bed. So after this, I'm going to go over to the Home Depot and I'm going to buy like all the tools and all the things. And like, I mean, part of that is my beautiful ADHD brain <laughs> that is like, how many hobbies can I pick up today? Mm-hmm. But as well as just this idea of being busy is virtuous. That shows that I am a worthy person and I don't have to think about the uncomfortable things. Yeah. Yeah. And this fear, because we've been taught that like you're lazy and it's just, I have to say this all the time and remind myself, right? It's not like we just change the habit when you've spent, you know, I'm almost 43, 40 years of your life learning something, but resting is not laziness. Mm-mm. We just are surrounded by a world that doesn't know how to rest. Yeah. And so that's super hard to learn how to do. Have you read Rest is Resistance? Oh, like that's an- on my list. I love this book, Rest is Resistance, Free Yourself from Grind Culture and Reclaim Your Life. And I mean, one of the things I just love is like how much this is talking about like rest and rest is a liberation. You know, we have been so acculturated into this idea that we have to constantly be moving and doing. And what that really does is that disempowers us, that oppresses us. Um, totally. And, yeah. and you know, we've had an easier time than, um, yeah, than other most, individuals than who identify than, as know, women, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a sad that it is so mind-blowing, I think, is what it – to me, I was just like, why is, like, just the basics of taking care of your body and your mind and just so foreign? We're not taught how to do it, first no, of all. we're not. And we're not. We are – when we are quote unquote taught, it's not like it's, you know, not to say these things don't help, but, you know, it's very like commercialized, like take a bubble bath and like, yeah. you know, just things that you're just like, <laughs> okay, that's, that probably helps some individuals going to therapy is not accessible for most individuals. Like there're just so many things that, you know, make it harder. And recently as I started to date and was dating my current partner, what really popped up for me was I had spent this time alone honing and like finding my jam, creating my own rules because I do Mm -hmm. recognize I like a little bit of hustle, right? So it's not like throw everything out. You got to find what works for you. I found myself starting to be hyper, super aware of what I was doing during the day because I didn't want this person to think that I was lazy or that I didn't work. Ah. And what was really interesting, that human did not tell this to me. Like there was nothing Mm -hmm. that this human was saying or doing that would like Mm -hmm. indicate any of that. But I was like, oh, isn't that interesting that I'm immediately wanting to go back into my proving mode instead of just being like, this is like, like, no, I don't, I don't have to work that much anymore. I don't work 80 hours a week anymore. That's not what I do. Like today I rested. I watched Netflix all day. Tomorrow I might work 12 hours. I don't know. I might work two. Like I have no idea. Yeah. That's really interesting. I have been noticing that when I wake up in the morning, I have to kind of have a little generous self-talk because my impulse is to sort of be like, you have to get out of bed like right now. Like you're late. I'm like, late for what? (laughs) But this idea that like, you know, don't be lazy. Don't, don't, you know, you got to get up. You got to go, go, go. I like to ask people the end of these interviews 
What is making your life really fuck yeah in these days? Oh, not going to lie. It's been a journey the last couple of years, as you also know, because you have been with me as well. Mm-hmm. Giving myself permission to play, and I don't mean just literally like roller skating, which I love, y'all. I love roller skating. And that was going back to a childhood thing. I used to roller skate every Friday night, and so I started doing that as an adult again. Still fun. Still love it. But also giving myself a couple things. Giving myself permission to play in my business and to try new things and not put so much pressure on the result of things. And, you know, I say that, I mean, someone might listen and be like, well, that's great if you have the financial means to do that. And like, you know, you can read it on my blog. Like I basically took a year off from work last year because I just did not realize how depressed I was going Mm -hmm. through divorce and I couldn't really show up the way I wanted to show up, which is interesting because it's like, yeah, you can't show up the way you used to show up, Brie. That's not how it works anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but I don't know how to do this. (laughs) And so I've had to just assume I don't know anything and just start playing again like I did when I first started my business and assume that this is a whole new breed. Like I'm I'm learning yeah. everything and it's okay that I've changed. We try so hard to stay the same person. Mm-hmm. But it's like when people are like, but you're acting so different. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> different. Like I'm not the same yeah. human. And so for me, keeping top of mind, like being playful is really – powerful for me right now because there are some big things that I want to do in this business and I'm not going to get there in the way I've built the business up to this point. Yeah. I think that's also really powerful because like what you're doing is you're giving yourself also like, you know, permission to just be visible, to let people see you in a non-expert way, in a, in a sort of that's the truth. <laughs> Playful way, you know, just like, cause like, yeah. you know, I think like the, the way that we kind of build up those identities of ourselves as capable and on it and mm-hmm. getting our shit done and got it together to then turn around and be like, I don't fucking know, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. It's yeah. super powerful. Yeah. And I think embracing the duality of things, yeah. which You know, I think we grow up in a space of like everything is very like this or that. And it's like, well, I can be feeling really joyful and free one day and still be crying in the aisle of a target. Like like it just (laughs) – I can be on it and have my shit together and still show moments of vulnerability. That was really hard for me to actually start to do. And, you know, I just had to go back to what was important to me and what I look for in my leaders. I want to know that they're human. Yeah. And I don't have it all figured out. It, it, this is why I don't call myself mm-hmm. a money expert mm-hmm. because I'm like, that has the connotation that I am always going to be perfect with my money. And I'm not because I am still a human. Yeah. Who still deals with habits and self talk and all of these things that our brains are doing to us every day. Yeah. And so. I just want to always use the experiences that I've learned from, that I've grown from, that I've had the breakthrough to kind of be 10 steps ahead of someone else to shine the light. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for shining the light for me. Oh, you're very welcome. sharing (laughs) your light with this audience. Thank you so much. Before we go, tell us where people can find you. You can find me. I spend a lot of time on Instagram at the School of Betty or my website, theschoolofbetty.com. 
You will also see Briley on there as a certified money healer as well. And um, yeah, come play with me on the channels. And I just love just a, a shout out to you, Briley, and just your your journey. And I just love so much that you have become a money healer because so many obstacles that your clients will face as they are trying to get to their fuck yeah life is mm -hmm. the money. And so yeah. I think it's so powerful that you have the skill set and the tools in addition to everything else that you teach and how you teach it. It's it's really powerful. Oh, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Mwah. Hey, thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're ready to start living your own fuck yeah life, head on over to the fuckyeahlifepod.com. That's F-U-C-K-Y-E-A-H pod.com. And sign up for five days to your fuck yeah life. This fab series of journal prompts that I created just for you will help you get on your way to living your own fuck yeah life. And you can find me on Instagram at Briley Rasmussen and hit me up in my DMs. I love hearing from you. Take care, friend. And I'll see you back here next week.